It is a resolution that trumps all other resolutions. And for some of you, maybe it's a time and a season of renewal. You need to renew again your passion for Christ because it's grown cold over the course of this year or these last years collectively together. And so what we're going to look at this morning uh, comes from the Old Testament, from Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua, just a little history, was uh, the leader of Israel after Moses uh, had died. Joshua was one of the spies who'd gone into the promised land and he'd come out and said, we can take them. There are giants in the land, but our God is bigger than any giant. He realized, uh, he understood, even before King David was even born, he understood that there was a King David who was going to go into a country and go into a land and defeat all the giants of the land and give the land to his people. But he was overruled and so they wandered in the desert for 40 years But at the end of those 40 years, as Moses was passing away, and he handed, in a sense, the mantle of leadership to Joshua, Joshua was now leading. And the people had come into the land, they'd conquered the land, they'd settled there, they were experiencing uh, what God had promised them for hundreds of years, uh, and they were basking in it. And chapter 24 is now the end of Joshua's life, where he's reflecting And he's speaking significant things. Again, if you've ever been around someone who is passing away, if you've ever been around someone uh, who is facing their own mortality and facing death itself, what you will find from them is that there are very few trivial conversations. They don't really care if the Panthers won. They don't really care that much Uh, who's the best team, or or who even is uh, seated in the White House. They want to talk about significant things. They want to talk about the heart, and they want to talk about commitment. And if they're one who loves Christ, they want to make sure that their loved ones know that story and believe those things so that they can be together forever. That's what Joshua was doing. Joshua was standing up as the leader and the pastor uh, of this group of people, and he was saying, my time has come. I'm going to go and be with my fathers. I'm going to die, but I want to make sure that you all, that you all stand and make your commitments before the Lord, that you know for whom you serve. Because we're asked every day for commitments, aren't we? Hines or Hunts, which is it going to be? Democrat? Or Republican? North Carolina or Duke? You know, Ohio State, Michigan, most of you would understand that better. Um, so, but we're asked for commitments. Everything is asking for our commitments. We're in a home with a senior. This school or that school? This organization or that organization? Everybody is asking for our commitments, asking for our resolutions. And what you find about that is that any yes that you make is a no to something else. You realize that, right? If you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. I talked to somebody recently, and they said, I cheer for both Duke and North Carolina. And I said, that is an absolute impossibility. You can't be a fan of either then. Because they are mutually exclusive fan bases. You see, if you cheer for one, you can't, you can't be a Republican and a Democrat. You can't do both and. Joshua was saying the same things. 
He was proposing before the people, and I'm proposing before you that same proposition. Who will you commit yourself to? And are you willing to fully think through the implications of your commitment? Again, we speak about living lives that are generally unexamined. And then we, we hang out with people who live unexamined lives. And we wonder why everybody's just kind of wishy-washy. That people do things and then they ask the question, I don't know why I did that. Or they do something and they realize they're going to get in trouble down the road. And they think, wow, I wish I'd considered that long before. As a parent, part of your role in your children's lives is what? To help point them down the road of logical conclusions, right? Now you know, sweetheart, that if you do this, it will normally lead to this, which will normally lead to this. Think through the end of your commitment. Think through the implications of your decisions. Consider those things. That's what Joshua was doing here in this sermon. He was saying this, uh, and he came, and his final conclusion uh, was very simply this. Now, therefore, this is verse uh, down near the end. And it says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So... What we're going to pick up on uh, are a couple of things briefly this morning. First is this. Your commitments or your resolutions are based on something. The resolutions and commitments that you make are based on something. It's the end of the year. It's the beginning of the new year. How many of you, honestly, how many of you are working on your list of resolutions? How many of you do resolutions each year? Really? That's it? Wow, quite a non-committal group. This should be a short and sweet sermon. (laughs) Commit to something. My goodness, people. And do it for some good reason. Some of you are going, I'm going to commit to lose weight. Why? Because the profile is different. (laughs) You know, we joke, we say, I'm going to get in shape. And one of my boys pointed out to me, Dad, you are in shape. It's just round. (laughs) Well, I'm going to get a different shape this year uh, in that way. But why do I want to lose weight? Oh, because of a reason. Because my doctor told me to lower my cholesterol. Because uh, I want to do what I can do to fix this. I'm going to live on a budget this year. Why? Because. And the because is the motivation or the reason for you doing that. Because I've been in debt and I want to get out of debt. And because I want to live well under my means so that I can be a more generous person this year and give uh, to ministries and to organizations. Uh, I want to do this. I commit to do this. And the next question has to be, why? And do you know what I find out from people when I ask that question, why? is a blank stare and generally silence. Why did you just go do that? Why are you planning on doing that? Why aren't you doing this? Why? 
We don't know the why. Joshua does a beautiful job here of explaining to us and laying out before us that if you were to follow his resolution, and that is, will you commit yourself to the Lord this year? Will you commit yourself to live for Christ now? Will you give your life to him, laying aside every other God? He said, laying aside every other God or idol that you're serving, everything else that you're serving, and would you singularly and with all of your heart focus on serving Christ? If you would do that, here is the motivation for why you would do that, and that's the first 13 verses of the chapter. And what he does in those first 13 verses is he lays out the beauty of the history of God's grace in the lives of the people. And he begins with this very interesting thing, the surprising nature of God's grace. If you're going to commit your life to Christ and live for Christ, not only today, but in the days and years going forward, you need to know first part of that story and part of the reason is the absolute surprising nature of the grace of God. Joshua starts out here and he begins to speak of Father Abraham. And he speaks of Abraham. And we think of Abraham and we've deified Abraham at some level But what we don't remember is that Abraham here, he says that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and the heads of the judges and the officers of Israel. And he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many and gave him Isaac, etc., Did you catch what's so surprising there about God's grace in the life of Abraham? He was a pagan serving other gods. Sometimes we think that he was walking around uh, in the Ur of the Chaldees and in all of that area waiting for God to do something. That he was a seeker. No, he was absolutely content in his pagan lifestyle of not serving God, of living in death, of living in the lostness. And God, rich in mercy, came and said, Abraham based on nothing in particular special about you, but only because of my absolute grace in your life, I'm going to turn you away from your pagan gods and I'm going to give you a life of grace and of mercy and of life with me. Isn't that amazing? The amazing nature of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ should basically be one of those points that you look back on and go, God, because you have done this when it absolutely didn't have anything to do with me, I commit to you. You know how much you have to add to the equation of your salvation? Zero. It's not like God looked into all of history and said in November of 1990, Bill McCutcheon has got something to offer me. I need him on my team. I think I'm going to redeem his life. No, because then I could be a rather prideful person, right? Well, God saved me because of what I've got for him. Versus, Bill McCutcheon is lost and is dead and his trespasses and sins. And he doesn't even know what he's missing out on. But I'm going to come and I'm going to shine a light into his life and so absolutely overwhelm him and give him a gift that he doesn't deserve and give him grace that he could never merit and give him mercy and then we'll point him to my son Christ who's going to take on the absolute penalty of all of his sins and all of his judgments and I'm just going to give him blessing. If it's not based on me, folks, that's the beauty of theology. That if it's not based on you, 
then guess what your only response is to God? How much can I give you? If there was something that you added to it, then there was a bartering chip for you. You could say to God, I didn't sign up for this. I only paid in this much. But God's saying there is an absolute overwhelming sense of grace in your life that God is the one at work in you to save and to change and to transform you. And it is absolutely surprising in its nature to us. But then as we continue to look through this story of what Joshua was saying, he started talking about when we look back over our lives, part of the reason why we fully commit ourselves to God and start to see God's great work in our lives is his gradual work of grace in our lives. He mentioned there Isaac. And then he mentions there Jacob and Esau. Do you know how long they had to wait for Isaac to be born? 25 years for Isaac to be born. You know how long Isaac had to wait before Jacob and Esau were born? 25 years. God's timing is different from our timing. And when we look back, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we forget that he's still at work uh, to, to do great things. And so what we need to reflect on is to step back out of our timeline and to look and just consider God's absolute great hand upon us and what he's done and how he's moved in our lives And that he works in these unbelievably mysterious ways in our lives. The great thing about the story that Joshua presents and the basis of your why. Why should I commit to God? Is it's one that is fully revealing. If you were a salesman, how would you present? If you're a a marketing person and you wanted someone to buy your home. Come and buy this house because it's an awesome house on a beautiful lot. Well, it also probably has the possibility of termites and floods are going to come and it's in a hurricane area. But we still want you to buy our house. No, you're going to downplay and diminish the negative stuff and highlight the great stuff. Interesting, Joshua doesn't do that. Joshua throughout this story says, now remember this God who took care of you, but he also took you through difficult times. There was suffering along the way. There was difficulty in that. And so what I want to to present to you in that realm is this. We joke about it a little bit. If you come to Christ and commit your life to Christ, things actually may get more difficult versus getting easier. They will. Because the implications uh, of your commitment are are there. That it's going to challenge you. You still may face cancer. You may still face loss of loved ones. You may face abandonment and abuse and difficulties and financial difficulties. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, there's this great uh, section there. And I love it because most of us like to hang out in the first part of that in Hebrews chapter 11. But if you move on, you find out something. I should have marked this. Um, Let's see. There we go. I'm getting to the point where I need bigger letters. Picking up in verse 32, it says this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, uh, and who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. You go, wow, that's awesome stuff. I want to commit to a God like that. I want to be a part of something like that. 
But God says, wait a second, there's another part to the story as well. But who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in weight, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves. Wow. It's not a very good sales pitch, is it? But what you have to see in the middle of that is before you commit to anything, know what you're committing to. If you're giving your life to Christ, know that it may come with difficulties and sufferings, even to the point of death. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks, but of committing your life to Christ in that way comes with beauty and with difficulty. And so if you come, I want you to come knowing all of those things. Knowing that manifest power of God, knowing his surprising grace, knowing that he works in a gradual pace oftentimes, and know that it comes with great joys but also with great difficulties, but it's God who's always at work in those things. So now the question becomes, if you commit yourself to Christ, if you look back over the history of the world and look back over the history of your life, and you say, I'm going to commit myself fully to Christ, there are some implications, and we're going to end with these, and here are the implications. You have to say no to other things. The scripture says very quick, very easily, you can't serve God and mammon as well. There can only be one God. That's what Joshua was saying. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to put away everything else. Now, I don't know what else you're serving, but you do. And here's a good way to find out what an idol that you're serving looks like in your life. Ask this question of your own heart. What is it in my life That if it was taken from me today, I would almost want to consider dying. That life isn't worth living anymore. And whatever it is that you put in that spot, you're serving. That has become, in some sense, your deity. That is your functional savior at that point. I've been open and honest in my life and shared with my wife and shared even with my boys that for me, it's my family. I've talked to some of you who've lost children. And I don't know how you do it. Because if my family was somehow ripped from me today, there is a part of me that would just want to just give up. Just crawl in. Cash in my chips and go, I'm done. Do you see what's happened there? Is it good for me to love my family? Yes. But if I put them in an ultimate place then what I'm really serving is them. I have to have their affection. I have to have their love. I have to have their presence. For some of you, it's money. That your bank account, if you lost everything, what would you do? Maybe over the last several years, God's taken that away and you've seen and you've had that idol ripped from you. And it's been painful and difficult, but I've listened to some of you speak and what you've come to the conclusion is this. Though it was difficult, I'm thankful that God has taken that away. So that I see the beauty of who he is and I'll serve him. And if I have a lot of money, great. And if I don't, great. If I have children and family, great. But if I don't, great. I still have him. So ask yourself, 
what are you really serving? What are those idols and gods that you're serving in your life? And then what you need to begin to do this year is dismantle them. Move them aside and replace them as you deconstruct them. Replace them with the true God of saying, God, only you can satisfy my deepest needs. Only you can really minister to me in these ways. But there are implications to your choice. If you choose to follow Christ, there's implications. Sounds great. And guess what? All the people in Joshua's time said, we're in. He said, are you going to serve God? And you know what their response was? Yes, we're serving God. And he said, you can't serve God. Well, there's a good evangelist, right? There's a guy who really cares about church growth. All right, guys, how many hands can we get up? And then half of the hands come up and I go, no, you can't do that. Put your hand back down. What was he doing in this section? What was he doing here uh, at the end? It's really quite amazing when he goes, but Joshua, verse 19, said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Here's what Joshua was doing. And here's what I want to do to you today. And I want to challenge you, adults and children and young people, don't take lightly your commitment to God. Too many of us hold it lightly. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I love Jesus. How does that work its way out in your life? How, how, do, how does anybody see that? In your life. We take it so lightly. We say I'll follow Jesus when it's convenient for me to follow Jesus. I'll follow Jesus when it's time and only time that I have a crisis. I've watched so many people come in and out of churches where I've served in crisis moments. There's one one man who comes to my mind. He had had so much loss. So much tragedy in his life. And he came to church and he was seeking out for Christ. And he said, I, I need Jesus. And then guess what? I, we were, I was ministering with him and I was discipling him. And he said, yep, I want to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all the difficult things in his life started to get fixed. He got the resolution to some money issues. Though tragic, his parents both died and left him millions. All of a sudden, he started feeling better. He had some surgery and some pain, that he, chronic pain that he was in got better. You know what? Never seen him around a church again. I see him on Facebook regularly, on boats and drinking and with different women and profaning and doing all of this. He took lightly what it meant to follow Christ. And Joshua says, be careful. So here is a very strange invitation for you today. All right? Don't do anything now. But consider it now. Let it wrestle in your soul. Let it push down and go, is this really what I want? Young people, is this really what you want in school? To stand for Jesus in your school. Parents, is this what you want in your home? Spouses, is this what you want? Friends, is this what you want? My hope is that as you survey and consider for a moment, you'll do just like the people did there. 
They went, absolutely it is. And they built an altar and they set stones in place in Ebenezer that said, we mark that this day is the day that we considered ourselves, again, followers of this God. And we're walking that way with him together. And if things get difficult, we're going to look back to Shechem. We're going to look back to that place of stones that are set up and remember God's goodness in our lives. That's my hope and challenge for you as individuals. And that's my hope and challenge for us as a church here. Next week, we're going to talk about where we're going. We're going to talk about, as a church, where are we going? And here's the deal, folks. I'm going to go ahead and grease the tracks a little bit and give you a little foretaste. We are going to be a church that resolutely decides to live for Christ. So guess what that means, businessmen and businesswomen? It's going, if you say, I'm a Christian and I attend Hilton Head Presbyterian Church and I am this, this, and this, we have full expectation that you are living for Christ in your business place. That you're not known as scoundrels out there. But that you're bringing honor and glory to Christ in the places that you work. Students who come and are members of this church and who take and dine at the table of communion, we are saying the implications of you being a part of this is that you're out there living for Christ. Are you making mistakes? Absolutely, all of us are. But we're living for Christ. And we're resolutely moving in that direction. That we want to be a church on the move. That we want to be a church that's different from maintenance churches. But we want to be a church that sees people come to faith. I was joking with some... I've gotten a chance to meet some other pastors. And one of them said, yeah, I see, you know, hear lots of people coming to your church. And that's great. And I'm so excited to see you, by the way. Uh, We're glad you're here. But what I really want to see over the next few years is that our membership grows through people giving their lives to Christ, not changing churches. We're glad that you're here from other places, but what I want you to do is buy in and say we want to stand for Christ together. And we want to get going. And that means it's going to challenge the way we deal with people. It's going to challenge the manner in, in which we love one another well in these things. So, like Joshua as the pastor of his congregation, I, like the pastor of this congregation, will say to you today, choose whom you will serve. Serve somebody. He actually makes that argument. Either Yahweh, either God, or serve somebody else, but serve something. Commit yourself to something. My hope is that you'll commit yourself to Christ, following him, pursuing him, And the beauty of doing it together is we do it together. You help lift me and I help lift you. That means we celebrate together and we mess up together. That means we have great joy together and great suffering together. But we do it together for the kingdom's sake. Let's pray. Father, there's a sense in which we almost need to repent that as we consider these things, we, we know how loosely we've taken our commitments to you. And Father, I pray that we would commit fully to you. That we would give our lives to you. That I would give my life fully to you. That I wouldn't be lukewarm. But that we would be all in together. And that we would face the challenge and the struggles together. That we would celebrate the victories and the glories together that we would see your kingdom come further in our midst here and through our church to our community and to our world. And God, that we would see that happen through the power of your spirit at work. Father, we praise you and we thank you. 
that as we look back at your amazing hand of grace in our lives, we're humbled. And our only response has to be, we're all in. Because, God, you were all in for us. We give you praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing.